you've ever had a friend of yours or maybe a stranger ask you a question that just kind of stuck with you, but I had one of those moments this week where somebody that I know and love, it just out of the blue, it felt out of the blue, his name's Joshua, Joshua came to me and he said, he said, Dave, how long have you lived in Nashville? I thought about it for a second, I'm, I've been here almost 16 years, and then I'll never forget the second question, he said, in the 16 years that you've lived in Nashville, how many Christians have tried to evangelize you? I'm like, that's a weird question. Like, why why'd you ask me that question? But it stuck with me, and I started thinking about it, and I thought, okay, I've had, I've had a lot of Mormons try to evangelize me. I've had a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses try to evangelize me. I've had friends of different faiths try to evangelize me, but I don't know if I've had very many Christians try to evangelize me. I'm not sure why. Maybe people look at me, and they go, man, that dude is holy. Like, that guy, <laughs> that guy is as saved as you can get. I don't know if I have just a Christian look or... I don't know if it's because we, we live in a place like Nashville where everybody, at least on the surface, just kind of assumes the banner of Christianity. You know, yet you live in a place where there are churches on every corner and everyone in some way seems to kind of lift up the name of Jesus. And maybe people are just assume, you know, that I'm a Christian. I don't know. But I, I got thinking back on it. I thought, man, there have not been many moments when someone has tried to share their faith with me. But as I thought about that question, I was reminded of a moment that took place seven or eight years ago. I was sitting in a coffee shop over off of Belmont Boulevard. I was studying for grad school at the time. I had come with a very limited amount of time. I didn't want to talk to anybody else. I had the stuff that I needed to do. So I'm, I'm sitting there at the table, and I remember this woman, kind of in her mid to late 20s, walks into the coffee shop. She's like looking around. It's clear she's searching for someone, but I don't care because I'm there, you know, trying to do my thing. And I'm, as I'm there studying, all of a sudden there is this presence like right beside me. And I know you've had these moments before where someone, you know they're trying to get your attention, but you don't want to talk to them. And so I am just like hardcore ignoring this woman in the name of Jesus, like head down, not looking at her, don't, don't want to talk to her. And, and I, I know you've probably never done that before, but she taps me on the shoulder. She's like, hey, can I bother you for just a moment? And I thought, you already have, you know. Um, and, uh, and she like says, hey, I want to talk to you for just a moment. And as soon as she starts speaking, I realize she's from a different country. I don't know where she's from at this point. She starts talking to me, and I realized about two minutes into the conversation that this woman is getting ready to evangelize me. And I thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. You know, I'll pretend to not be a Christian or something. I don't know. Um, no, she's, she starts sharing her story and her faith, and I tell her, I said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus too, and her eyes light up, and she sits down at the table, and she begins telling me how God had called her and her husband to leave everything behind in their home country of Brazil, and their church had sent her as a missionary to Nashville, Tennessee. Now, some of you are feeling what I felt that day. Like, I'm like, really? Maybe you guys did not do your demographic studies very well. <laughs> but this is like the last place on earth where we need another Christian. This is the last place where we need another missionary. And I think she could just see that look in my face. You know, I'm looking at her. I'm going, hey, churches on every corner, Christian universities, Christian book publishers. You know, you have the Well Coffee Shop. You have Chick-fil-A. Even our food has been Christianized here. I mean, <laughs> everything has been saved in Nashville. And and I'm like looking at her, kind of sharing this with her, and she sees the apathy in my face, and this little woman from Brazil just starts laying it down. And she's like, Dave, do you know there are 800,000 people in your city that don't know Jesus? And she said, if you don't believe me, get on the interstate on Sunday morning and see how empty it is compared to Monday morning. She said, Dave, do you know there's a difference between a city that knows religion and a city that knows intimacy with the Father? And all of a sudden, she's just like preaching at me, and I'm like, come on. And she's just sharing it, and I thought, yes. And she's just talking to me about why she had come to the city. And I realized kind of in that moment, Lord, 
If I had the passion for your mission in this city the way that my sister does, she would have had to have left Brazil to have come here. And she started looking at me and she said, Dave, the Christians in this city are not committed to the mission of Jesus, otherwise I wouldn't be here. And I went, wow, Lord. It was one of those moments where the Spirit of God just began to convict me. And I thought, okay, Lord, do I live as a missionary in this city? Like, am, am I on mission with you? Do I know what it means to, to live into the very things that you've made us for? And this is what I want us to think about this morning. Just kind of one question that we'll kind of hold on to. Is how different would our city be if every Christian in Nashville treated Nashville the way we treat Honduras when we go there on a mission trip? How different would your relationships and your neighborhood and your schools and your friend groups, how different would they be if if every Christian in Nashville began treating every interaction the same way we do when we buy a plane ticket, when we go somewhere else, and we say, Lord, I can be bold for you. Can you imagine how different it would be? And I don't think anyone is more poised to talk about that than Jesus. I love what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 10. He takes these ordinary men and women, these, these unpaid these unprofessional Christians, he takes them and he releases them into the ordinary moments of everyday life and he infuses their life with this extraordinary purpose of God. And things begin to change in amazing ways. And in Matthew chapter 10, he's gonna give us this blueprint for what it looks like to live on mission in the place you already are. And so if you're interested in being more than just a churchgoer, a sermon listener, a song singer, like if, if you want your life to become a conduit by God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, for his glory and the good of those around you. Matthew chapter 10 is the place to go. And I love this because Jesus is gonna give us just six really simple pictures this morning of what it looks like to be on mission. And I wanna just kind of give you these words to hold on to. And the first is a word that comes out of verse one. Look back at Matthew chapter 10, verse one. It says, and then Jesus called, and then Jesus called his 12 disciples to himself. And this is the first word that I want you to hold on to this morning, and it's, it's the word intimacy. Because I believe intimacy with Jesus is the fuel for all gospel mission. Now, there have been a lot of moments in my life where someone like me stood up in front of me and tried to motivate me to live on mission with Jesus. And a lot of times, I remember this guy one time stood up in front of me and he asked me, Dave, how long have you been a follower of Christ? And I told him how long I've been following Jesus. And then he said, how many people have you brought to Christ in each of the years you've been a, a Christian. And the truth was, like, almost no one. And I remember just feeling so small. I felt so belittled. And I remember for a season going, oh, I'm going to live on mission. And here's what I discovered is guilt and shame and fear will never propel you on mission for an extended period of time. But friendship with Jesus will. That intimacy with Jesus is the fuel your heart needs to live on mission with Jesus for the long haul. That there's no one you know who loves your non-Christian friends more than Jesus. There is no one you know who is more concerned about your non-Christian friends than Jesus. And this amazing thing happens when you and I start walking in intimacy with Christ. All of a sudden, he begins to connect our hearts, not just to the things, but to the people that he cares about. Have you ever noticed that when you make a new friend, that new friend, over time, begin introduce, begins introducing you into all of their friend circles? And this is what happens when you and I find intimacy with Jesus. When we start walking closely with Jesus, he starts introducing us to all of his friends. And have you ever noticed that Jesus' friends were the types of people that rarely went to church? That Jesus said, come on in, I want you to know who it is that I'm after. And intimacy with Christ is the place where real mission begins. 
Intimacy with Jesus is, is the fuel that, that ignites it. One of the joys that Sydney and I have had over the last year is we've spent a lot of time traveling to other contexts, to different countries, being with different churches. And, and one of the questions that people always ask us is, is, how do we get our church to live on mission more faithfully? And the question that we always throw right back to them always confuses them. The first question I always ask is, how much does your church love Jesus? Because a lot of times we don't have a mission problem, we have an intimacy problem. And the truth is, when we love someone or when we love something, we share that freely. Have you ever been to a great restaurant or seen a great band or had an amazing experience? Nobody had to pray, pay you to open your mouth. It just happens. And I love this because Jesus knew that this was the birthplace. This was the fuel of all mission. It starts in this place of intimacy. First picture I want you to see is intimacy. But it didn't stop there. Jump down to verse 5. Second picture that he gives us is not just about intimacy. It's about community. I love this. It says, Jesus took the 12, and these were the 12 that he sent out with the following instructions. In some of the other gospel accounts, it says he sent them out two by two. In other words, the mission of God is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. The mission of God is something that we experience and live into more faithfully when we're doing it with other people. And that any time we reduce church to nothing more than a collection of strangers sitting side by side, singing songs and listening to sermons and going about our separate ways, when we reduce church to that, we miss out on the power and the strength of community. That community happens when we're living on mission. He starts with intimacy. He leads them to community. This is why house churches matter so much for us. You know, Sydney and I experienced this recently in the context of our own marriage. We sensed God inviting us to go to the city to spend a day praying. And so we went and we were going to spend the whole day praying. And I don't know if you've ever tried to pray for a whole day. You're probably more spiritual than me. But I get, I'm like spiritually ADD. I get bored so fast. I run out of things to say. don't know what to pray anymore. And I found the power that came in community was the fuel that kept me going. And so I'd get tired of praying and Sydney would say, hey, come on. Come on, let's, let's keep praying. Or Sydney would get tired of praying, and I'd look at her and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you so unspiritual? Come on. <laughs> and that there was something that we could accomplish together that we never accomplish when we're on our own. And Jesus knows this, and he's given the disciples not just inspiration, but instruction. He says it starts with intimacy. It leads to community, and then he deals with their proximity. Look at this third thing that I want you to notice, their proximity. Verse 6, he says, in verse 5, he says, do not go among the Gentiles, don't go to any of the towns of the Samaritans, but instead, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you ever found yourself critiquing Jesus before? I don't recommend it. I don't, like, say you should do that, but I've, I've done it many times where, like, I read the words of Jesus and I go, Jesus, is that really the best strategy? I remember years ago reading this passage in Matthew 10 where Jesus tells them where not to go. And I'm like, Jesus, don't you know that there are a lot of non-believers in Samaria? Jesus, don't you know that there are a lot of non-Christians in the towns of the Gentiles as if I care more for their salvation than he does? But I think Jesus is doing something beautiful here, and I want you to notice this. Jesus takes this group of men and women that he called out of Israel, and he sends them back into Israel. In other words, he says, mission starts in the place you already are. Like in order to live on mission, you don't have to go across the world. You don't have to quit the job. You don't have to throw in the towel on every person and everything you already know. Mission begins in the place and the neighborhood and the towns that are already there beside you. And I think Jesus knew that until we learn how to do mission in our own backyard, we'll never experience the real mission that we were made for. 
And that sometimes, isn't it easier? I mean, I remember confessing this to my friend in that coffee shop eight years ago, the woman from Brazil. I was just confessing to her. I said, it is easy for me to get a plane ticket, get on a plane, and the moment the plane touches down, for me to be locked in with God, for me to be open to my spiritual community, and for me to walk in boldness. But you bring me back to Nashville, and everything shuts down. You know, last year, we sent dozens and dozens and dozens of missionaries to more than 22 different countries uh, throughout the world. And they'd go out and do amazing things in the name of Jesus. And then they would come back, and it was always the same story. Man, we saw God do these incredible things, and now we're back in Nashville. It kind of stinks. <laughs> and I know that feeling. But I love this because Jesus is reminding these guys that the places they're from are not a barrier to mission. The places they're from are, are the areas where God wants them to begin in mission, and sometimes it's hardest at home. And I love what Jesus is doing. He's given us this picture. He says it starts with intimacy. He said it flows through community. It starts in close proximity to where you already are, and he keeps going, and he says, and it's going to require your boldness. Look at this, verse 7. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely I want you to give. Now there's a lot of things going on in this verse. Once you hear this clearly at Ethos, we believe God heals, God saves, God does everything he's always done, he still does it. But I think the heart of what Jesus is trying to speak into the lives of his disciples in this moment is, is so beautiful and so powerful. He's reminding them that they don't just need intimacy and they don't just need community and they don't just need proximity, but they need boldness because the adventure he's inviting them into requires boldness. He says, I'm sending you out and I'm not sending you out as undercover Christians. I'm not sending you out as undercover agents of the gospel. He says, I'm sending you out to both proclaim and practice what God has already done. So he says, as you show up in a city, he says, announce that the kingdom of heaven has come near and then I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy. And show them what it looks like when God comes near. I think a lot of us, I want you to hear me, please hear me with love as I say this. A lot of us have been taught that relational harmony is more important than missional faithfulness. So we've been told at all costs, keep relational harmony. And if you get around to being bold for Jesus, be bold for Jesus. But Jesus doesn't tell these guys to go out and he doesn't say, hey, move into the neighborhood and be really amazing neighbors for the next 15 years. And in the midst of your niceness, your neighbors may one day reach out and say, hey, you are so nice when you take the trash out every Tuesday. Are you a follower of Jesus? It's not the strategy. Jesus says when you go out, boldly proclaim that heaven is near and then step into such a place where heaven has to back it up. He says you need boldness to live into what God has invited you to go into. And as long as we're bowing down to the secular gospel of relational harmony first, we'll never take Jesus seriously. And he sends them out. He says there's intimacy, there is community, there's proximity, there's boldness, but he keeps going. He says, number five, there's this level of dependence that you have to have. And we hate this because none of us want to be actually dependent on God. We want to know that he has our back, but we don't want to actually have to have him have our back. Did you notice that Jesus commands them to do things that they couldn't do on their own accord? He says, I want you to go out. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cure those with leprosy. He says, you can't do that on your own. God's got to show up. You've got to be dependent on me. 
He says on top of that, verse 9, he says, don't take your bag with you, don't take your purse with you, no, no coins, no gold, no extra shirt, no staff. I think in our context, it would be Jesus standing before us and saying, hey, let's go out, let's live on mission together, give me your wallet, give me your keys, give me your cell phone. <laughs> I want you to trust that wherever you go, God has already gone before you and that he'll do what you can't do. And Jesus is reminding us, he says, mission is intimacy and community and proximity and boldness and dependence. The last part, I think, is the gateway for all of mission, and that's the word curiosity. Look at this in verse 11. He says, whenever you enter a town or village, wherever you go, search there for some worthy person, or some of your Bibles say a person upon whom the favor of God rests, or a person of peace. In other words, what Jesus says is, everywhere you go, God is already at work. Everywhere you go, something is already happening. Something is already moving. He says, will you have the eyes to notice? Will you be curious about what God is up to and what it is that God is doing in the places that you're already at? If you keep reading the rest of the story, it says they go out with this intimacy and this community and this proximity and this boldness and this dependence and this curiosity, and God does amazing things through the lives of these early believers. It says they return with unbelievable joy, experiencing what it's like to do life with Jesus. And I was thinking about this, uh, this all week, and I, I want you to hear this. Because for nearly eight years, we've been a church, and every time we talk about the mission of God, there's a level of excitement that kind of happens, not with all of you, but with a lot of you. We're a church that loves to talk about the mission of Jesus, and so a lot of times when we talk about mission, people kind of sit up and they kind of lean in, they go, man, I love when we talk about that. But I say this with love. Talking about the mission of Jesus does not make us missional. Studying the words of Jesus doesn't make us better missionaries. Living into the words of Jesus is what makes us missional. You know, one of my favorite moments in the Gospels is Luke chapter 11. Jesus has just preached an incredible sermon. And he gets done with the sermon, Luke chapter 11, verse 27. This woman, we don't know her name, she stands up in the middle of the crowd and she literally just shouts out. She's like, Jesus, that sermon was so amazing. Blessed is the woman that gave birth to you. Now, I don't know how many good sermons you've heard, but that's a good sermon. When you hear a sermon and it's so good, you stand to your feet and you bless the preacher's mother. Like, I've never had that happen. I hope it happens sometime. You know, blessed are your, your mother, Dave Clayton, like for that sermon. But this woman stands up and she says, blessed is your mama, Jesus. That's what she says. And here's the paraphrase. I love what Jesus says in the very next verse. He says, I'm glad you like my mom. He says, but the blessing doesn't come because you heard my sermon. The blessing comes because you put it into practice. And I want you to hear this. The teachings of Jesus Christ will not change your life. And I know that feels heretical to some of you. Jesus' teaching won't change you. It is the application of his teaching. It is obedience to his teaching by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that changes your life. And Jesus looks at her and he says, if you want the blessing that I've just talked about, you've got to live into it. And here's what I want to just urge you in. If you are bored in your Christianity, if you are bored with church, it's probably because you've done too much listening and not enough living. That there's something that God has for you that exceeds what you can receive just sitting and listening. And studying the mission of Jesus is not enough. You've got to live into it. I was convicted of this about a month ago, going, man, okay, God, we've talked about mission a lot as our church, but I don't know that we've ever really empowered people to do it. And just finding myself just repenting, God, going, it's one thing to say, hey, we need to do this more. 
And it's another thing to say, hey, let's learn how to do this together. And so the Lord gave me this, this idea about a month ago, and I, I, I thought, okay, we're going to spend a week just living as missionaries in the city of Nashville. We're going to start with a small group of people, see if this is even possible, see what happens. We're going to try to live as though Nashville were a foreign country. We're going to try to live with a sense of boldness and intimacy and community and curiosity that, that, that Jesus called his disciples to do. And so it got about 20 people together. So we're just going to experiment with this for a week. And, and I told them, hey, you've got two hours to do your normal work. If you need to take off from work, you can do that. You take vacations all the time. Like, I want to challenge you. Just spend the first two hours of your day doing your work. And then we discovered some things. We discovered that a lot of us waste a lot of time because we're paid salary. And, like, it's easy to just kind of check it in. But people got in and they worked and they did their stuff. And then they'd show up. And for the next six or seven hours together, we would arrange our lives around three different rhythms. And if you take notes, I'd encourage you to write this down, try this this week, and see if it does not bless your life. First rhythm we invited them into was the, the rhythm of intimacy. And so we'd spend the first two hours of every day, once they showed up, we'd spend two hours praying, worshiping, confessing our sin. Because we believe that intimacy with Jesus is the fuel for all godly mission. So it's been the first two hours in intimacy. The second rhythm of the day was about community. So everyone would bring their own lunch, and after the two hours of worship and prayer and confession, we'd sit down at a table, and instead of talking about the sports or weather or our jobs or our kids, all those things are fine, we'd say, hey, tell us your story. How'd you come to Jesus? Tell us about some of the things that you're struggling with. And we found in the midst of community, amazing things started happening. But this is where the rubber really would meet the road. We'd go from intimacy to community to curiosity. That's the third thing, curiosity. And we'd go out into the city together with this level of just divine curiosity, both in what God was already up to and what God was stirring in the lives of people that we were going to meet. Let me tell you, it, it was one of the most amazing weeks of my life. It was so fun. I'm going to start leading, this is true, I'm going to start leading mission trips here in the city of Nashville. I'll let you know the next time I do it. If you want to come with me, take off for work for a couple of days, we'll try it. I think it'll change your life. But you don't have to wait for me to do it. You, you can step into this yourself. And we saw God do amazing things this week. I'll tell you just a couple of stories. So this one day in particular, I think it was Tuesday afternoon, uh, one of the guys that was in my car with me that we were getting ready to go live on mission together, we said, where should we go? And he said, I live off of Dickerson Road, and all down Dickerson Road are these trailer parks. And every day I pass all of those people that live in the trailer parks. I don't know anything about their life. I want to just get to know them. And so we decided, let's go to the trailer parks off of Dickerson Road, Tuesday afternoon about 2 o'clock. And so we, we drive over there. Uh, before we get out of the car, we just stop and pray. And we say, God, would you open up our eyes to the people in whom you're already at work? So we pray that short prayer, we get out of the car, we're walking through this hot trailer park in the middle of the day. No one's outside except this one guy that's mowing his yard, and uh, he's mowing, and as soon as he sees us, he turns off the lawnmower, takes off the headphones, and starts walking towards us, and we thought, okay, maybe here's our person of peace. Maybe this is the guy that the favor of God is on, and so he walks up and he introduces himself, he says, hey, my name's Brian, um, what are you guys doing here? And I immediately wanted to lie. Like, have you ever had one of those moments where you were just such a coward for Jesus? Like, if we could really name this church what it should be named, it should be Cowards for Jesus, but we're trying hard. That should be the name of our church. I'm such a coward. And he's walking up. He asks us that question, and I so wanted to lie. Like, oh, you know, we're, he we're here to solicit, or we're here to sell drugs, you know, like any anything other than telling him I'm a Christian. 
but I knew I was preaching this sermon, and I was there in community, so I had strength, and I, I looked at him, I said, hey, we're, you know, followers of Jesus, and we're here to see what God's up to in this trailer park, and we're going to pray, and the guy says something very unexpected. He says, oh, cool. He says, welcome. He says, I'm the property manager here. Just go around, knock on all the doors. If people are open to you coming in and praying for them, they'll let you into their house. If not, go to the next place. And I thought, that wasn't really the strategy. Door knocking went out in 1950. Like, you know, that's, that's not why we're here. But all of a sudden, we've been given this invitation. So we walk around to each of the, these trailers in the middle of the day, terrified. So we knock very quietly. All right, Lord, Lord doesn't want us to talk to them. We'd move on to the next. Because <laughs> I'm such a coward, we got to like the third or fourth place and God just went ahead and brought the woman outside. He's like, if you're not gonna man up, I'll just bring someone out of their house. And she comes out and we start talking to her and God just opens up this conversation. She says, hey, I want you to meet our whole family. And I'm like, oh, cool, that'd be great to do sometime. She said, no, they live here on the premises as well. They live in trailer six. Come down and meet my family. And so all of a sudden, we find ourselves being invited into this family's home. And we're standing there with five generations of the same family that all live in the home together. Great-grandmother all the way down to great-grandchild. And I never forget, we walk into that little trailer on a Tuesday afternoon and kind of the matriarch of the family, she said, hey, we heard you're the people of God. We love God's people. Come in. They set out chairs and for the next hour, hour plus, we're sitting there just sharing Jesus and talking about Christ and praying together. And I thought, man, we came here thinking that we had something to offer and the Lord is giving us something back in return. Just amazing, God opening doors. I'll tell you another story. Um, the next day, there were a couple of folks from our church that went out, and, and they were going to go um, uh, kind of serve. They didn't know where to go. So as they were driving in the car, Will, the guy that was leading worship, he was one of the guys that was a part of this. He can confirm this story. You can talk to him about it afterwards. But they were driving to, to, to go look for someone to share their faith with. They're driving in the car, and Mary, who was one of the women from our church, was with them, and a guy named Jake. And they start praying, God, would you just give us something to help us know where to go? So Jake gets this image in his head of a bicycle, and Mary gets this image of an older gentleman with a broken wrist, and they both share it with all the folks in the car. They said, hey, this sounds weird, but as we prayed, we saw a bicycle and a guy with a broken wrist. So they get downtown. They don't know where to go, what to do, and they're looking for a parking spot, and Jake finds this parking spot, and he looks up, and the parking spot's right in front of a bicycle shop. And he said, okay, maybe God's doing something there. I'll park there. So he parks in front of the bicycle shop. They get out. They instantly find themselves in this conversation with some really weird people who really needed Jesus. And they're talking and they're laughing and they're sharing. You've thought that before. Don't judge me, okay? And so they're, they're, they're there in the middle of this conversation. And as they're talking, behind them walks this older gentleman with his hand, uh, his wrist in a cast. And he walks into Subway to grab a sandwich. And they said, hey, I think that's our guy. I don't know if you've ever followed someone into Subway without them asking you to do it. It's a weird thing. They followed them into the subway, and Mary walks up to him, and she said, hey, this is going to be so weird. She said, but as we were coming down here today, we were looking for people to share Jesus with, and I saw an image of a guy that looks a lot like you that had a broken wrist, and I think God wants me to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And the guy's like, yeah, let me finish ordering my sandwich first. And so he finished ordering the sandwich, and he, she's standing over there off to the side. He gets done, and she looks at him. She just starts talking to him. She says, hey, do you know how much God loves you? She said, God loves you so much that he put us in our car, gave us an image of you, and sent us to this place today to tell you that. She said, I think God wants to do something in your life in a big way. Do you care if I pray over your wrist right now? She starts praying over it. She, she, she asked him, she said, hey, is your wrist hurting? He says, yeah, it's in quite a bit of pain. She said, I'm going to pray over it. She starts praying. Gets him praying. She says, is anything different? And, and he says, it doesn't hurt anymore. 
And that's the moment when I would have said, like, praise God, I would have left the restaurant, like, you know, chalked it up for a good sermon story, which I'm using it for right now, you know, but um, Mary didn't stop there because she's so much bolder than me. She said, hey, would you mind just taking your cast off so we can make sure God really finished what he wanted to start? He takes his cast off by the grace of God. He's like, man, my wrist doesn't hurt at all, and sits down and finishes lunch without the cast on. Some of you don't believe it, that's okay, because we didn't believe it when it happened either. But she said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. God has touched down. Something happens when intimacy and community stir us into these places of bold dependence when we go out with curiosity. But it wasn't all good. We had plenty of moments of rejection. We had moments where we'd show up and we would share our faith. Hey, do you need prayer? No, I don't need any prayer. Do you know anybody in your life that needs prayer? No, I don't know anybody in my life that needs prayer. Hey, we're here on behalf of Jesus. We don't care. Leave us alone. And I realized this week over and over and over just how scared I am of people rejecting me. And I go, it's just part of the game, though. It's just part of it. And we have to decide whether or not we love the people of our city more than we love the people of our city thinking highly of us. First of all, we love you enough to open our mouths. See Aaron back there, who's our campus pastor here at the cannery. One of my favorite stories of rejection came from him this week. Um, <laughs> no offense, bro. <laughs> really messed it up. Um, now, Aaron, Aaron had knocked on this guy's door and was having a great conversation with the guy. Talked for about 10 minutes, and then Aaron starts talking to him about Jesus. And the guy, I kid you not, immediately goes, I'm sorry, my English is not very good. He said it about like that. And Aaron's like, your English is fantastic. You've been talking to us for 10 minutes. And he's like, sorry, I do not understand you. Like, I don't speak very good English. And and I thought, man, I've had a lot of people try to get out of a conversation about Jesus before. I've never had someone fake a different language, you know. But, <laughs> but every day people would come back from this little experiment. Do you, know, do you know what they're filled with? The joy of God. The joy of God. To open up your life and to be used by God. And Jesus didn't just give us this teaching for some Sunday morning encouragement. He gave us this teaching for some Monday morning change. And if we can't put in practice tomorrow what we talked about today, today's been a waste. And I just want to challenge you in each of those areas. What would happen if tomorrow, I'm not telling you to call in sick. You can if you want to. But what if tomorrow you woke up and you said, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to cultivate intimacy with you, Lord. Because intimacy is the fuel that you need for mission. What if you move from intimacy to community? It's part of joining a house church, but it's so much more than that. In a city like Nashville, do you know how many people you work with that are already followers of Jesus? How many people you go to school with that are already followers of Jesus? What would happen if you went into your dorm and you found all of the followers of Jesus on your floor and said, hey, let's just link arms together and make a commitment that every night we'll pray for this floor? Or what if you thought about every person that you worked with and went, man, that guy's a Christian, that girl's a Christian, that person's a Christian. And instead of us coexisting in this work environment as isolated Christians, let's link arms as a band of missionaries. And let's just pray every day, five minutes before lunch. Hey, we're going to meet up by the water cooler for five minutes and pray that God would use our lunch conversation to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. What if God invited you to stir and cultivate? intimacy and community and curiosity this week. Or today when you went to lunch with your friends, I dare you to ask this question when you go into whatever restaurant it is. Father, where are you already at work in this place? If you ask him that question with a genuine heart, he will show you. 
to have a curiosity, God, where are you already moving? Where are you already stirring? How can I partner with you in that? To be deeply curious about people's lives. I'll give you one question. This is a freebie. One question that will help you as you're trying to talk to people about Jesus. Start by simply asking them to tell you their story. I love just asking people, hey, what's your story? And I found that people love talking about themselves. You love talking about yourself. I love talking about myself. Say, hey, tell me your story. And as they're telling the story, to just be praying to God in your heart, saying, God, will you help me see where you've already been at work in their story? One of my dear friends who's a part of our church family, a guy named Bill, he's a salesman. He meets new people all the time, and he's always telling them, hey, I'll take you out to lunch. I'll buy your lunch, but all I want in exchange is for you to tell me your story. For some of you, that's the starting point this week. Sit down with that coworker. Hey, what's your story? And at the end of them sharing, just saying, hey, do you mind if I just pray over you? Just pray the blessings of God in your life. And if they say no, then endure the rest of that conversation with the awkwardness that you'll feel as you're choking on the sandwich. But I think God will move in mighty ways. God will do incredible things if only we'll step out. The blessing in this next season for our church isn't going to come because we talk more about mission. It's going to come because each one of us individually say, Lord, we want to live on mission with you. It's going to be this thing that's birthed out of intimacy, that's found in community, that is experienced in proximity, that comes with boldness and dependence and curiosity. And I think God has more than you could ever ask or imagine. That God has more for you than sitting and listening and standing and singing. That he has more for you than the religious consumption of religious goods. But God wants to use your life as a life raft for those around you who don't yet know the goodness of God. And that's where joy in the kingdom is found. I want to invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray over us as we get ready to take communion together. So we take communion as we worship. Father, I love these people. Uh, I love what you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would literally just infuse our lives with spiritual boldness. Would you give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hearts to care? Would you give us the commitment to go? God, would you use us in the places that you've already sent us? Father, I pray that one year from now, there'd be thousands of people who are a part of our church family that have come to know you, Jesus, because the men and women in here have decided not to live a privatized version of Christianity. Father, would you use us with joy and boldness to live into the very things that you've made us for. I love you, Jesus. I love these people. Thank you that we get to be on mission together. Would you give us opportunities today to put in practice what Jesus has already taught us? It's in his name that I pray and give thanks. Amen.